Welcome to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. Today on 30 Minutes, we continue with excerpts from the closing celebration of Raices Taillere's July 2015 exhibition, Chubasco, a tribute to our annual monsoon. The event featured readings by author Margaret Regan and music by Pablo Peregrina. Special guest author Margaret Regan read passages from her book, Detained and Deported. The award-winning investigative reporter's new book is an intimate look at the people ensnared by the U.S. detention and deportation system, the largest in the world. Drawing on years of reporting in the Arizona-Mexico borderlands, journalist Margaret Regan tells their poignant stories. Regan demonstrates how increasingly draconian detention and deportation policies have broadened police powers while enriching a private prison industry whose profits are derived from human suffering. She also documents the rise of resistance, profiling activists and young immigrant dreamers who are fighting for the rights of the undocumented. Margaret Regan is the author of the award-winning book, The Death of Jocelyne, Immigration Stories from the Arizona Borderlands, a 2010 Southwest Book of the Year. An editor and writer at the Tucson Weekly, Regan has won many regional and national prizes for her immigration reporting. Pablo Peregrina is a troubadour by trade. The Sonoran-born Peregrina has released two CDs of original music, border stories and songs, and traveling souls. As a human rights activist and volunteer, Pablo strives to create awareness through music. Up first, musician Pablo Peregrina, followed by author Margaret Regan. Now, one of my first march in 2006 was such an inspiration. 10,000 people leaving uh, Pueblo High School, coming down, I mean, it was totally a moving thing for me. Uh, I had sunglasses, I had tears in my eyes, I knew what my heart was telling me. At the same time, it was like something new. And I wrote this song called Si Se Puede. It's all in Spanish, and singing about the United Pueblo will never be defeated and the pride of people marching in Tucson. Si se puede, 
Deported men who had run out of options sometimes slept in the graveyard. An even lower circle of Nogales' deportee hell was Chirabichi, the foul-smelling town dump. Male exiles occasionally joined the poorest of the town's poor there, squatting in shacks slapped together from trash. For women, rock bottom was prostitution. One young woman deported from Tucson was so terrified of the pimps trying to reel her in that she ran north through the port of entry and was caught by the border patrol. She was charged with felony re-entry and ended up in Eloy. Women did have one shelter option that was closed to men. The Catholic Kino Border Initiative ran Casa Nazaret, reserved exclusively for women and their children who had been badly traumatized. It was housed in a couple of walk-up apartments on the fourth floor of a shabby mini high-rise on the west side of town. On this wretched June day when I visited with a group of American social workers, the building was baking in the heat. It was so hot that cinder block walls were warm to the touch. But the missionary sisters of the Eucharist who ran the place had made it homey. Flower decorated posters celebrating women's strength hung on the walls and gauzy peach curtains drifted across the open windows, blocking the worst of the sun. We try to make this a family space, said Sister Maria Engracia Robles the Mexican nun who presided over the casa. Sister Engracia, her name means full of grace, was tiny and tough and immensely compassionate. The women usually stay about eight days, she said, speaking in Spanish. They were allowed to linger until they felt safe again. The house had been named for the biblical childhood home of Jesus, Nazareth, where the Holy Family had lived together in peace and harmony. The residents were encouraged to cook and eat together to reestablish a feeling of normalcy, and they could call their families on the house phone. They could also get legal help. Casa Nazaret had contacts with a U.S. immigration attorney who offered discounted services. And if the deported women had children in the United States, the nuns could help them write letters assigning guardianship to a loving family member or friend to keep the kids from being farmed out to foster care as Camila and Luis had been. In 2012, the year before, 302 women, border crossers and deportees alike, had found refuge at Casa Nazaret. The danger of violence is higher these days, Sister Gracia said. On this side, the cartels are exploitive. On the other side, the migra, the walls are higher. We're seeing many more broken bones. The shelter's youngest resident that day was Adira, a 21-year-old rape victim from Oaxaca, who had arrived two days before in great crisis, sister said. Adira looked very young, with freckles sprinkled across her broad face. Her eyes were wide with terror. She wept without ceasing as she spoke to our group, but her story just poured out of her. At home, she said, she'd been raped repeatedly, it was horrible. I wanted to leave all that and be as far away from Oaxaca as possible. She signed on with a coyote in Sonora and crossed north into the Tohono O'odham Reservation. Stretching 75 miles along the line between Arizona and Sonora, the res was remote, 
hot and little populated. For years, it has been the deadliest in migrant corridors in the Southwest, and Adira had the bad luck to hike it during the record-breaking heat wave. During the day, the heat was terrible, she said. The stones were very hot. The migrants soon ran out of water. Some started bleeding from the nose, and Adira believed one of them died. She herself began to convulse. She lost track of time and started hallucinating. In the desert, the hills talked to me, she said. You are listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson with excerpts from the closing celebration of Raices Tayer's July 2015 exhibition, Chubasco, a tribute to our annual monsoon. The event featured readings by author Margaret Regan and music by Pablo Peregrina. Someone set a fire to attract the border patrol, and at last a helicopter came for us. I lost consciousness and I woke up in a hospital. She was hooked up to an IV, she said, and she found red marks on her chest where an EMT had used a defibrillator to restart her heart. She had been very close to death. Two other women staying with the nuns had also been hauled out of the, de out of the burning desert, but their backstories were different. Maria Dolmos and Norma were mothers older than Adira, and both were reeling from the separation from their children. The biggest change, said Sister Ingracia, is we see many women who have already lived in the United States. They don't want to stay in Mexico, leaving their children in the United States. Despite the dangers, if they're deported, they are absolutely, positively going to cross back into the United States. Norma had two sons, an 11-year-old American citizen and a 14-year-old Mexican citizen. She was a factory worker who lived with her husband and kids in the Bronx ever since the older boy was one year old. She and her older son had gone to visit her grandmother in Mexico City. When it was time to go back home, they lined up a coyote in Altar, a Sonoran town 60 miles south of the border. The man lied, telling them that the walk through the desert would take just three hours. We had to walk a frightening distance, Norma said. We had only food for two days. We had no water. Someone was going to bring water to us, and it was so hot. The nights were cold even during the heat wave, and Norma wrapped her son in a plastic bag to keep him warm. Finally, after three days and three nights, she couldn't walk another step. Her son begged her mom, keep walking, but she couldn't continue, and the Border Patrol found them. In short order, they were repatriated to Novellos. Norma had since found a way to get her son back over the border. She wouldn't say how. And now he was in the Bronx with his dad and brother. In anxious phone calls, the family urged her to cross the desert again. It was the only way they could be together. They want me to go, she said, starting to cry. I don't know what to do. I'm afraid that coyotes will deceive me again. I don't think I can try it again. It was terrifying. Maria Domos had the opposite problem. Her home was in Florida and her children were in Querétaro in central Mexico. Six years before, Maria and her husband had left their kids with her parents. The children were tiny then, just four, two, and one. 
Maria took time off from her job in a restaurant to go back to see them from time to time. And until now, she'd always found her way home to Florida relatively easily. The last time I went through a barbed wire fence in Novellas and walked just a few minutes, Maria said, before getting picked up by her ride. That was then. This was 2013. The border had been fortified. The walls were higher and longer. The number of border patrol agents had multiplied and immigrants had to walk farther afield to get through. But Maria's daughter desperately wanted her in Querétaro for her first communion. The girl was 10 now and she felt abandoned. My daughter said to me, are you going to come home now or wait until I graduate from university? Maria couldn't repeat her daughter's angry words without breaking into tears. When kids are little, they don't understand. But when they're older, you can't deceive them. Parents are supposed to be there. So back to Querétaro she went. At the first communion, she saw her young daughter splendidly arrayed in white and receiving the body of Christ for the first time. On her way back to Florida, she'd had the misfortune to arrive in Arab just as the May heat turned the Sonoran Desert into a cauldron. She'd paid the coyote half his fee up front, $1,750, with the second fee, the second half to be paid on delivery in Phoenix. The group slipped across the border in the dead of night. It's sad in the desert, she said, triste. The days are hot and the nights are cold. The coyote had promised a hike of five days, but on the fifth day they were still out in the wilderness and out of water. I couldn't walk anymore, Maria said. The coyote got mad. He treated me badly. He pulled my hair. He grabbed my hand and pulled me. She fell, hurting her leg and hip. Now she could only hobble along. Two days later, she and seven others gave up. They staggered out to a road and flagged down the border patrol. I lost half the money, she said, but it's better to get caught than to die. She had been recuperating at Casa Nazareth for three weeks. I thank God and the nuns that I'm still alive, she said. Now she was agonizing over what to do next. She could go back to her kids in Querétaro, or she could risk her life again to return to her husband and the job in the United States that they paid, that paid to keep those kids alive. If God's willing, I'll try again, she said, but not in the desert. Crossing is completely different now. It's much harder. Coyotes were more human back then. Now they don't have a heart. Oh well, I should. This book, this book was very difficult to write, as you can imagine. It was very um, emotionally challenging, and I'm still feeling kind of a little PTSD about it. Um, but yeah, that's an interesting thing happening. Do people know about Rosa? Uh, what's her last name? Loretta Robles. It's it's kind of a new movement. It's happening in other cities as well. Um, 
You all remember maybe back in the 1980s, uh, Tucson kind of originated the sanctuary movement in those days. We were, uh, many activists in Arizona were welcoming refugees from Central America who, um, you know, the Reagan administration considered them to be just economic migrants um, because that our policy was we were in favor of the governments that these people were fleeing. So um, they were categorized as, you know, just regular migrants instead of asylum seekers. And many people believe that in fact they were asylum seekers. So what they did was they brought them to Southside Presbyterian Church and gave them sanctuary. It's a very old idea. I don't think it really has legal force, but it seems to have an emotional force that it rarely happens that the police or the border patrol will go in and drag a person out. Remember way back in the story of uh, Quasimoto, <laughs> Quasimoto, Remember the character sought uh, sanctuary in Notre Dame, right? So, um, so that's what's happening now. Um, and Rosa is a woman who's lived in Tucson for a long time. Um, she's from Sonora. And she and her husband uh, came up here, I think, 10 years ago or so. And, um, she, you know, she, she told me she went home to have the two boys, which, you know, probably hurts her legal case in a way because they are Mexican citizens, they're not American citizens. And when I interviewed her down at the church a couple months ago, I said, well, why, why, did, you have the, why did you go back to have the kids? She said, well, I always, I wanted to do everything properly. I was trying to be good to the United States. I worked here. I thought maybe it wasn't appropriate that the children should be born here. And I went back to Mexico. And of course, her mother was down there. So for both pregnancies, she went back and had the children there and then came up when the babies were able to travel. Um, worked in Tucson for quite a while. I think she and her husband bought a little house. And um, again, I keep going back to this idea of Sandra Bland in Texas. She was stopped for a very minor traffic violation. We hear that so often from the migrants, things that probably I would not be stopped for doing, like failing to uh, put a light on my bicycle at night if I ever did something like that, like Gustavo. She was in a construction site up in the foothills. And um, you know how sometimes it's confusing when they have all those fences up and everything and she told me she got confused and she was going the wrong way and this guy stopped her and said you know you got to get back over there she said oh okay and he goes well let me see your papers you know once he had her and um, so she was caught the border patrol was called she was brought to uh, border patrol headquarters here and then eventually to Eloy and uh, that's the detention center we've been talking about she had a really horrible experience there um, really, really badly treated. She said she was, she heard that people like her got worse treated than um, just ordinary border crossers. I don't know if that's true. So um, eventually she was able to bond out and finally a sympathetic judge allowed her out of Eloy to await her hearing here, but she's lost in every legal venue that she's been in. Um, some people think she got bad legal representation. But anyway, it came to a point last year where they said, that's it, you know, you're going to be deported. And she decided to enter into sanctuary at Southside Church. And the anniversary is coming up here in August, uh, one month. And I saw she was interviewed in the Star, and she said, uh, I never thought this would go on so long. So the day I was there, um, her boys come in after school. You know, they're all still living here, her husband 
has the two boys and um, they're involved with sports and so they try to bring the kids in most days to see her and then they come in the weekend. She likes to cook for them because she feels really bad about not being the mom at home cooking. So I think it's really interesting. My sister lives in Philadelphia and she's gotten involved with Sanctuary there. There are churches there doing it. And I heard um, that another church in Tucson might join into the movement. There's that St. Francis Church um, had a guy who was released on Christmas Eve. Um, he seemed to get some kind of legal disposition of his case. I'm not really sure that he felt comfortable leaving Sanctuary, that he wouldn't be picked up again. Now, I did go over there on Christmas Eve. That was really fun. He has like five kids, I think. The little girls had their little red Christmas outfits on, and everybody was really happy to bring the dad home. But uh, for Rosa, it seems to be pretty unrelenting. They, they're not backing down. So I guess we'll see how long this can go on. But it's an interesting new way that people are responding to the deportations. Yeah. Any other questions? Anybody? Okay. Well, thanks so much for coming. If you'd like to buy books, I have some over here. <laughs> You have been listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson with excerpts from the closing celebration of Raices Taller's July 2015 exhibition Chubasco, a tribute to our annual monsoon. The event featured readings by author Margaret Regan and music by Pablo Peregrina. This has been part three of a multi-part series. I'm Amanda Schager. <laughs>